When we think of Los Angeles today, we think of cars, millions of them, crawling along the 5 and 134 freeway, the 405 freeway. Well, Guy Clark sings, if I can just get off of this LA freeway without getting killed or caught. But back in the day, and not that long ago really, LA and much of Southern California was horse country. The great folk singer, songwriter Tom Russell wrote in Ranch and Riata magazine about the era of the 1950s when the whole LA area was home to 165,000 or so horses. There were movie stables, riding stables everywhere, especially in Burbank, and lots of people had private horse properties. Cast your mind's eye further on back to the early 19th century in the days of the Spanish and the Mexican ranchos, and you'll see thousands upon thousands of horses. The rancheros were a horse-proud culture, and they bred some of the best stock to be found anywhere. And that made them a big target for freebooting mountain men and Indians, the likes of the legendary Peg Leg Smith and the Ute warband leader, Walcara. In the 1830s, these piratical men led epic raids to steal horses from the Southern California ranchos, and they would drive them east across the Mojave Desert and sell them into the ravenous market of the southwest and the southern plains. The train was brutal, and the distances were long, and the potential for getting killed was pretty high, or just dying in the desert. But it was worth it because these Spanish horses commanded a really fine price among the Indians and the mountain men and the traders in the southwest what's now New Mexico and Arizona and Colorado. And it was about as exciting an enterprise as a feller could engage in in an era when the West really was truly wild. Thomas Pegleg Smith was a mountain man. He was born in Crabtree Orchard, Kentucky, and he headed west as a young man and became a trapper in the 1820s in the golden age of the Rocky Mountain fur trade. Like a fair number of that rough and hardy crew that became famous as the Mountain Men, he was kind of a pirate in buckskin. Our man Horace Bell, the Los Angeles Ranger and chronicler of early times in Southern California, has him, sorry, has him pegged pretty accurately. Pegleg Smith was a Rocky Mountain man of great renown in his time and ranked high as a leader. Not of that high type of mountain honor and chivalry as pertained to the Sublettes, Carson, Bridger, and others of that standard of excellence, but rather of the Indian freebooting class as Jim Beckworth and others of that ilk of whom I have heard but whose names I cannot now recall. Pegleg was not a traitor. Neither was he in the strict sense of the word a trapper, but he was a trafficker among the Indians in horses, generally having a large supply on hand and would at any time join a war party of one tribe to war upon another with an agreement to take a certain pro rata of the captured horses in payment for his valuable services. Like I said, he had him pegged. Smith came by his famous handle the hard way. Stories vary, but it's pretty clear that in 1827 or thereabouts, 
he took a bad wound to the left leg and had to have the leg amputated in the field. Some say that Indians helped him with the amputation. Some say that he did the deed himself. Marshall Trimble, writing in True West Magazine, has it this way. It was in the fall of 1827 in North Park, Colorado, that he was wounded in the left leg. With the help of fellow trapper Milton Sublette and a jug of Taos lightning, he amputated the leg. Smith himself cut through the flesh, then Sublette sawed through, then the bone and the wound was seared with a rifle barrel heated in a fire until it was red hot. That winter, while living with the Ute Indians, he whittled himself a new leg. Dates and other details vary regarding Peg Leg's first horse-stealing foray into Southern California. Trimble has it in 1829, others say 1835, and raids may have been conducted in both years, and in fact, I think that's probably likely the case. The first expedition may not have actually started out as a raid. It seems that Smith and Jim Beckworth who was a a free black man and sometime war chief of the Crow Nation, accompanied by the Ute Walkara, came into Los Angeles looking to trade peltries for horses. The trade was apparently slow and unsatisfying, and Walkara got impatient and simply just started stealing horses, which from his cultural perspective was something on the order of a sport. That made L.A. too hot for the mountain men, and they had to make a run for it back across the Mojave. And they sold their haul of horses in the mountains of New Mexico. This seems plausible, but it may also be just a bit of folkloric gloss to kind of gussy up the motives of the mountain men involved. Um, It could well be that they were intent on on a horse-stealing raid from the get-go. There's no ambiguity at all about the Great Raid of 1839. Um, That has also been depicted as possibly 1840, but it seems like 1839 is the correct year. So this raid was probably conducted mostly under the leadership of Walcara, who was a uh, Timpanogo Ute who had gathered around him this kind of motley but very effective band of Ute, Paiute, and Shoshone freebooters, um, kind of mercenaries, who engaged in horse-stealing raids all across the Southwest, and also traded in slaves, mostly children, uh, to the Hacendados in the Southwest and and Mexico. And uh, again, it's kind of useful to look at these enterprises as something similar to the activities of pirates or buccaneers in the uh, late late 17th, early 18th century. A little straight trade, a little trade in slaves, and a fair amount of stealing. The Utah Daily Herald notes that Walcara created a disciplined cavalry and organized effective raiding campaigns. Sections of his cavalry, under the leadership of his brothers and other trusted band members, were distinguished by appearance, adopting bright dyes and metal ornaments. Walcara's public name, translated as yellow, was based on the yellow face paint and yellow leather which he wore. It's probable, in my estimation, that Peg Lake Smith was an ally and deputy of Walcara in this 1839 raid, rather than its leader. Although Bell writes that 
Smith planned and carried into operation the grandest and most successful horse-stealing expedition that ever crossed the Sierra Nevada and raided our angel land. Smith and Walcara and their raiders hit ranchos across the L.A. Basin and then turned east to push a huge herd of something like 3,000 horses through the Cajon Pass between the San Gabriel Mountains and the San Bernardino Mountains into the Mojave Desert. The dust cloud was reportedly seen for 50 miles, and and I can believe it. Uh, The logistics of of driving that many horses across what's really brutal, arid desert really boggle the mind. But uh, the Indian raiders and their mountain men allies got it done. But it wasn't without cost. Long after the events of 1839, Bell encountered Peg Leg, And the old mountain man told the L.A. Ranger about the cost of that great raid. Here's Bell. In 1850, the chronicler hereof, in crossing the continent, halted at Peg Lake's camp at the Soda and Steamboat Springs on Bear River and found the old fellow in the zenith of happiness and prosperity. He was in undisputed ownership of hundreds of the most beautiful Spanish horses, so-called at the time, in this history designated as Mustangs and by the gringos commonly called Broncos. Now, the truth is that a bottle of whiskey or a pound of powder was the price of a horse in Peg Lake's camp, and notwithstanding whiskey was scarce and powder reasonably plenty among westward-bound gold hunters, Peg Lake found a ready sale for as many horses as he could spare, and himself, his squaws, and his Indian retainers kept gloriously drunk and were as happy as braves are supposed to be when they reached the happy hunting grounds. In answer to the question as to how he came to have so many horses, he said, Oh, I went down into the Spanish country and got them. What did they cost you, we inquired. They cost me very dearly, said he. Three of my squaws lost brothers and one of them a father on that trip, and I came near to going under myself. I lost several other braves, and you could depend on it that I paid for all the horses I drove away. Them Spaniards followed us and fought us in a way that Spaniards were never known before to do. How many did you get? we again queried. Only about 3,000. The rascals got about half of what we started with away from us, damn them. I made up my mind to try it over, but then our own people taking the country broke up my plans. I never make war on my own people, and in driving off Spanish horses, I might be brought into contact with my own countrymen, and you know, that would not by any manner of means do. A half dozen white men and about 150 Indians took the war path on this grand expedition of Peg Leg to the Spanish country, Jim Beckworth having preceded the party as a spy. According to Colonel Williams, Jim, who was a mulatto, came in and made his headquarters at his Chino ranch, and pretending that he was going to remain in the country and try his hand at killing sea otter, then a most profitable business, Jim spied out the land, and when Pegleg appeared in the Cajon Pass, was ready at hand to counsel, guide, and assist him. The raid was rapid and successful. Every ranch south of the Santa Ana to San Juan was visited and the best horses and mares driven away, and before the rancheros could collect in sufficient force to pursue, the raiders had re-entered the cajon. The pursuit was, however, made, 
and so vigorously that the raiders were overtaken, roughly handled, and with the result as above stated by the renowned Pegleg himself. This foray was undoubtedly well planned, and was only preliminary to others to follow of a still more formidable character, which were prevented by the country falling into the hands of the great Gringo nation. Now, Pegleg Smith and, and Walcara were probably the most successful and the largest scale horse thieves that the Spanish and Mexican ranchos had to face, but they were certainly not the only ones, and, and horse theft was really just a plague on these ranchos, um, and it was so bad and so chronic that, according to newspaper accounts, it contributed to the uh, the Lugo family, which was one of the most prominent uh, ranchero families in Southern California, selling their San Bernardino ranch to Mormons just so that they could get out from under the the burdens of running such a large operation that was constantly being bled out by horse thieves. As for old Pegleg Smith, he rounded out his piratical persona by being associated with a tale of lost treasure. As the story goes, on his way across the desert from Yuma to Los Angeles in 1829, he climbed a hill to get his bearings and looked around where he was standing and allegedly he found some lumps of black ore laced with what looked like gold. So he gathered up all of these black lumps of ore and carried him, carried them with him to Los Angeles and somebody there confirmed that they were in fact gold. So Pegleg Smith had, had, had struck gold in California two decades before the actual big old gold rush. The problem was, Pegleg couldn't relocate the Golden Hill, which became the lost Pegleg mine. Trimble says, He traded tall tales for liquor and went off to the desert at least three times to guide gullible gold seekers to his legendary mine. He'd usually run out on them about the same time the liquor ran out. So, you can uh, you can draw your own conclusions about uh, whether the lost pegleg mine was a real thing or not, but uh, there's also a, a picture of of him drawn in the book uh, by William Carruthers, loafing along Death Valley trails, uh, depicts Pegleg Smith kind of hoorahing the greenhorns with his lost mine tail, which um, you know I, I think it was probably 100% BS. Carruthers says, In the Pueblo days of Los Angeles, Smith was a frequent visitor at the Bella Union, a leading hotel. Always surrounded by a spellbound group, he lived largely. When his money ran out, he always had a piece of high-grade gold quartz to lure investment in his phantom mine. So Pegleg Smith went from a badass mountain man, genuine badass mountain man, to a horse thief on an epic scale, to an L.A. con man, which, if you think about it, is about as classic a Los Angeles story as you can find. I want to thank all of the Frontier Partisans patrons 
who make this podcast possible. That's Ash, Harry Kaiser, Mike McIver, Wade McKnight, Chaz Clifton, Bob Dice, Alan Godsiff, Chris West, Jerry Nunnally, Free Live Free, Matt Eilman, Paul McNamee, David Rolson, Rick Schwertfager. Appreciate all of you very much. And uh, anyone who would like to support Frontier Partisans and the Frontier Partisans podcast through our Patreon page, the link will be in the show notes. Um, We're going to continue on uh, in this uh, series, Once Upon a Time in Los Angeles. Uh, We've got uh, an I Shot the Sheriff episode uh, talking about the, the sad demise of Sheriff James Barton. And uh, also, we're going to tackle the manhunt for Tubercio Vasquez in Los Angeles in 1874. So uh, thank you for joining me as we explore these tales of frontier Los Angeles and Southern California. And we'll see you down the trail.